H-A-T-E. It was with this left hand that old brother Kane struck the blow that laid his brother long. L-O-V-E. You see these fingers, dear hearts, these fingers has veins that run straight to the soul of man. The right hand, friends, the hand of love. And welcome to Generation Loss, the first episode of 2020. I'm Bryn, and this is Jeremy, and we're going to talk about movies. What up? Hey. It's time for Generation Loss 2020, baby. It's our year. <laughs> it's the fucking 20s. It's it's the 20s, man. And I'm ready to go back to uh, silent. The silent era? Yeah, were, were films still silent in the 20s? Partially. Hell yeah, dude. <laughs> yeah, nice. for the for the first show of the 20s, we decided to do a movie that's in the 50s. <laughs> <laughs> this would have been a great week to have done like The General or something that's true. like that. We should have done that, but um, we didn't. We did Night of the Hunter, which we'll talk about later. If we do like a we could do like a themed thing where for all of the 20s. The whole decade we watched the <laughs> we watch movies from the 20s. I don't think anyone would like that. <laughs> and our, our podcast changes its name. It's called Hey Man, It's the 20s. <laughs> the Roaring 20s. The Roaring 20s. What else happened in the 20s but roaring? Dude, lots of shit happened in the 20s. Because like the labor movement is already like kind of on the outs at that point. Like Emma Goldman mm-hmm. is already in like in jail and shit right the bolsheviks are in power yeah basically um the ira hey there we go 20s baby (laughs) um yeah lots of bad shit america was really bad (laughs) in the 20s and they still are now they still are now. Anyway, hey everybody, <laughs> welcome to Generation Lost, the podcast about movies. Not what we were just Not talking about. Not what we were about. just talking Not about Not about time or history. Welcome to 2020, the year where I stop making references to the Irish Republican Army. That's <laughs> that what's happening this year. That was the last one. the last one, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, well, so- speaking of time... <laughs> <laughs> what did you watch this week, Jeremy? Uh, I watched Uncut Gems. Ah, uh, yes, the Adam Sandler vehicle. I went to go see it, and um, I absolutely adored it. Oh, okay. And I hated every second of it. <laughs> and I was trying to express this to you, and I don't feel like I did a very good job. But basically, d- did you see um, Baby Driver? No. Or like... Um, Something like the passion of the Christ. Yeah, but yeah. I didn't like that. But like, <laughs> imagine if the Passion of the Christ was a good movie. Okay, this is kind of what Uncut Gems feels like. Just torture. It's just torturous to watch. <laughs> it like every moment of it, like you're just balled up in a knot, and you, you like your stomach is just like burning. <laughs> so, someone explained to me the the premise of the film is a guy who is a bookie. And then he like takes or he like takes someone's NBA ring mm-hmm. and is supposed to give it back, but during that he like pawns it and takes the money and puts yes. it on something else. It's a he's a diamond salesman. He's a diamond dealer guy who through various shell games is constantly like 
holding people's goods to pawn them for money to then gamble that money to make money back to then give the guy back the thing and then he reaps the profit. And the idea is that he's just like constantly in this precarious position where if like one thing goes wrong, it sets off a chain reaction that will utterly ruin him and everybody else around his life. Right. And so you're always kind of on that thread. But then in addition to it, there's like family tied up in it. There's like, and, and, and it's directed very competently in a way that right. like makes it feel like the beginning scene of falling down, but forever. And also okay. like stuff that's actually anxiety inducing and right. not Spanish radio. <laughs> but the <laughs> idea is that Mexican. like it's, it's, they're doing a good job to make it feel tense, but they never stop doing it. Right. My feeling, my fear of that is having not seen the movie mm-hmm. is that what would matter for me is that I give a shit about this guy at all. Right. And it's Adam Sandler playing a shithead. Yeah. And would make me be like, I hope this guy get like, I can't wait. <laughs> the thing is, yeah, I mean, I expected that. And I definitely at the beginning, you find him really annoying. And kind of part of it is that everybody around him finds him really annoying yeah. too. Everybody in the universe is like, this guy sucks. We all <laughs> hate this guy. But the problem is, like I was saying that like, because of the various tendrils that he puts out there and all the places that he like hitches his money to his collapse means everybody's collapse. Nobody doesn't go down with him. So like, mm. even if you don't like him, you still feel for the people around him where you're like, well, they didn't ask for wow. this. So it's and a movie they'll be where you're not too. even rooting for the main character, but you still need him to win. Exactly. Oh, yeah. It's, that sounds it's tough. really, it's really intense. And by the end of it, like my wife and I left the theater and we were like, I don't know if I could recommend that to anybody <laughs> because it honestly hurts to watch. But so it's just really well written too. Like it's, it's really well written. Taught. It's really well directed. Everything works really well there's a couple of loose ends that i feel like probably could have been tied up a little bit better but ultimately it's it is what it is and it like still is a pretty good piece altogether so yeah i would i would recommend it if you have the stomach for such things i don't think i would recommend it if you want to have a good night after (laughs) but it's not like a it doesn't mean anything Right, it's not like watching like Hotel Rwanda or something and you like leave it like, God damn, I have it so good in the West. But even like, (laughs) Jesus, but but even like my favorite movies tend to be stuff that sort of sticks with you, even if it's on a personal level of like, oh, wow, makes me think of these kinds of situations differently or makes me think of my life in a certain way. Mm -hmm. But this is just basically a roller coaster, like a, a... a hall of mirrors adventure kind of thing where it's just yeah like, i mean i think there's something to it if i think for middle class people i think there's a lot to take away from it about like the idea of the rat race and like the american dream and things mm-hmm. like that but i think that if you're like us and you don't exactly like live in that world to begin with right there's not a whole lot to take away from it in that but i think for people who who are trying to balance their lives in such a way could totally see them taking a lot away from it. Because essentially it's like The Sopranos, where a good portion of the theme of it is like the insane measures people will go to to support their lifestyle. Even though they hate their lifestyle? Even though they hate their (laughs) lifestyle, they hate everything around them, and they're just miserable people because of it. They just keep doing this because that's what you're supposed to do, and that's the life that people expect. Right. Yeah, that's rough. Yeah. Anyway, I would recommend it. I wouldn't recommend it also. Right. Um, so, If you're at all interested in that kind of thing, if the trailers interest you, you should see it. Yeah, but also don't because it's <laughs> really hard. 
I, I don't know what to do with it, honestly. Mm. Like, it's my favorite movie I'll never watch again. <laughs> I've had movies like that, yeah. Yeah. Um, what did you watch this I week? I watched a movie. So, this was a weird thing because I, it was like 11 p.m., and I wasn't ready for bed, and I really wanted to finish some stuff in Zelda. Mm-hmm. Uh, Where I, are you up to now? Oh, I finished it again, but I finished it even harder. <laughs> I like because I I ran through it the first time, and I didn't like it. Yeah. I beat the whole game. I I killed Ganon, and then I was like, that game was like kind of okay. But then like the DLC came out, and I got like this weird like real like addict sort of twitch. I was like, I have to play this game all over again. Right, and then I did. And what I DLC got, was it? The the motorcycle? Yeah, I wanted yeah. the motorcycle. <laughs> And I got it, but I ha- I've got every shrine. I beat everything. Mm-hmm. I got the good ending, and then I did all the DLC. And I w- I wasn't finished yet, and so I wanted to f- finish it. I so I was like, I'm gonna go on Netflix and put something on. Mm-hmm. And I watched the trailer for this. I've never heard of it. It's called I Lost My Body, and it was a French film. That's a French animated film, and I am a sucker for animation. Mm-hmm. I love. Anything that's like even halfway decently animated, I just want to watch. Yeah. Um, I was like, maybe I'll put this on. And I watched the trailer and I was just like, I didn't even finish the trailer. I was like, this is it. I'm watching this. Mm-hmm. And I tried to play Zelda for a little bit and I ended up like stopping because I wanted to pay attention to it. Because right. the, the animation of it is, um, it was all created in CGI and Blender and then drawn over. So it is hand-drawn animation but it like has a CGI base. Yeah, so it's like almost like rotoscoped, but it's like rotoscoped over CGI. So yeah, it looks really, really interesting. It looks really weird. Yeah. And it like there's moments where it almost looks like Plimp Tunes, you know, okay. like Bill Plimpton. Yeah. Where it's like too choppy, but then like the movement is so smooth, it like breaks your brain a little bit and it kind of right. looks like um Spider-Man Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, into um, the Spider-Verse. Into the Spider-Verse, yeah. Um where it's like kind of choppy but like smooth mm-hmm. uh it's hard very hard to explain how it looks but it's very beautiful it's almost a little too twee in terms of like art direction it almost looks like a like a death cab for cutie album cover do you know <laughs> what i mean but the story is so strange and the writing is so visual like the movie basically has almost no talking in it i almost don't want to say what it's about because it sounds stupid <laughs> Go on. um well it's about a hand a literal human hand. Yeah, like like Master Hand from from Super Smash Brothers. Yes, trying to find its way back to the human it came from. Okay. But you see the movie in two parts, sort of like the person whose hand it is. We kind of don't know that, but you put it together pretty quickly. It's not really a spoiler. Also, it doesn't matter because like the whole metaphor is very strange, mm-hmm. and it's not. There's no point in the movie where you're like, "Oh, I see what they're doing." Yeah. It's a it's a very weird movie where the very last shot of the movie I was sort of like, "Oh, this is what the movie's about." And then but it didn't feel like a aha. It was just like this sort of slow sort of realization of what they're getting at. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, it didn't feel emotional like this big reveal. It just felt like, "Okay, that's sort of all tied together yeah and then it ends and then it wasn't until the next day i was like that movie was so sad yeah <laughs> you know what i mean like there's no moment where you're like oh uh, you cry because it's like so emotionally wrenching because you kind of don't know what the movie's getting at until it's over yeah and so it's sort of this flat malaise but it's so beautiful to look at mm-hmm. um 
that I just had a great time watching it. And then when it was over, I was like, that's sad. <laughs> it's a sad movie. And then I woke and then I woke up and I couldn't stop thinking about it. I've been thinking about it all week. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, if you like animation and you don't mind a little bit of reading subtitles, um, and it is a little political, I will say that there seems to be a little bit of political commentary about refugees and um, in Europe yeah. and like how Europe things about that but it's mostly just this very sort of sad little visual thing about grief Mm -hmm. um it's very good yeah i'm gonna check it out is it dubbed or is it Uh -uh. uh-uh it's it's uh but like i said there's almost no talking yeah like most of it is like Mm. (laughs) 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 no but this is what i'm saying It, it 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 really teeters on being too pretentious right like even for me and I have a really high tolerance for that yeah. because I like really weird things. But it's it's almost a bit scary in parts where it's like you think they're gonna do something really dumb because it kind of the whole movie kind of hinges on um, like a re- a relationship, like a boy girl boy meets girl kind of relationship, right? With the with the human, the guy, um, and uh, you think, but he's missing his hand. Not yet. You okay. you you see from the you see from him from the from the it starts from him as a child okay and then the hand starts from bef- after okay. so there's a point where he loses his hand and then they meet back up in the middle interesting um but a, the story before he loses his hand is about like a boy meets girl kind of thing right and there's so many moments you're like this is too like cloying mm-hmm. like you think it's gonna be like oh, it's going to be like, oh, he does this grand gesture or there's like, I don't know, like, like it sounds like it's going to be a Death Cab for Cutie song and then it isn't. Right. And it's just con- consistently slaps you in the face with like reality. <laughs> but it's such a surreal movie, you don't think it's going to come. And then it's like, oh, that sucks. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. It's a, it was it was I was really impressed. And, and it's funny because since I had no idea what I was getting into, it was way better than I thought it was going to be because it, yeah. it was a random Netflix watch. Totally. Yeah. And then over the past week, when all of our, you know, the film people I follow, it's like ended up on people's like top 10 of the year list. Um, and I don't know if I'd say that. I think it's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, but it people are saying it's one of the best of 2019. So take that with whatever pill you want to. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever pill you want to. <laughs> Watch it on acid. I don't care. It'll be fun. You know, you know that, that expression we all know. Yeah. <laughs> take that with whatever pill you want to. It could be salt. <laughs> it could be sugar. Okay. Let's move on. Let's move on. To movie news. Movie news. This week... Star Wars. Star Wars and um, Star Wars news for the ninth episode in a row. <laughs> yeah, well, it's it's hard because Disney has taken over, and we're not trying to be a Star Wars show. We're not going to talk about Star Wars probably ever again, except Until for tonight. Except for tonight, because <laughs> we are finally seeing this movie. We're leaving from taping to go see this movie. Yeah, and then that's it. And then that's it. We're never talking about Star Wars again until the next movie until comes the next out. Movie. <laughs> um, but. John Boyega, who plays Finn. Finn Wolfhard? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, the guy from Stranger Things. Yeah, Finn Dickhard. Finn Dickhard. Um, He's a yeah, child. So John Boyega, Jeremy. who plays Finn Dickhard, uh, got in trouble this week. He did get in trouble. 
for um was it oh so some this article says a fan suggestion that the death of adam driver's kylo ren character after he kissed ray in the rise of skywalker spoilers could create a romantic opportunity for finn which uh john boyega uh responded to with it's not about who she kisses but who eventually lays the pipe <laughs> you are a genius <laughs> and then yeah and then everybody came after him and said you are a misogynist for saying lay the pipe right to which he said you are an idiot yeah you're an idiot these are fake characters <laughs> none of this is real what's wrong with you well what do you think is this misogynist I don't think it's anything. I think, <laughs> as we were kind of talking about before we started recording, laying the pipe is, of the sexual euphemisms one can use, I would say <laughs> boning and laying the pipe are two of the least gendered, least offensive, offensive ones. Yeah. Because no matter what pairing of what genders of what any identification you do, there's Almost always bones involved. Right, <laughs> bones. There's always and bones pipes. involved, and and everything is shaped like a pipe. That's every right. part, <laughs> every part. No matter how uh, gender fluid or non-binary you are. No matter if you are into some wacky shit where you're doing like <laughs> arms into knee pits. Yeah, everything's a pipe. It's all pipes. Bones are pipes. So are sexual organs. Right. Everything's a pipe. So the other take I saw about this was not that it was the, the the phrase was offensive, even though I'm I think it's hilarious that people thought the phrase was offensive. Um, but the other take was that he's he's implying that Ray is some sort of prize and that he was he was in some sort of competition between Kylo, sure, and like who gets to he fuck didn't, her. The he most. didn't bring that. No, that was brought to him in the form of that question right so i don't know what that is supposed to be (laughs) but it's also like like the phrase it's not about who she kisses but who eventually lays the pipe if it's anything it's ace erasure (laughs) if (laughs) it's anything if you're gonna say anything it's that yeah but it's also like i don't think he's implying that ray is a virgin and it's about who gets to fuck her first. Right. He's just saying, like, it would be nice to have sex with, like, Vin wants to have sex with the character. And yeah. So, who cares about the kiss? That's all he's saying. Yeah. If you're in if you're in the type of relationship where sex is involved, then yes, the person who has sex with the person is probably, cl- like, closer than the person that just kisses yeah, them. relationship-wise. <laughs> but again, like... This is all such a it's reach. It's so stupid. Well, and it's, it's just like, people wanting some sort of emotional response to the rise of Skywalker. Right. Well, I think the problem is, is like, it's probably, it's just, a, he's just joking. So it's like, he's, you know, he's not really going to have sex with someone. Yeah. He's not fucking Daisy Ridley. <laughs> None of these people are real. Yeah. None of them are real. <laughs> but I think that the problem is, is that Star Wars is a movie for children and is popular with children. Yeah. And... All children are dumb. <laughs> yeah. And this, this political argument is going to happen as soon as any actor says anything even mildly about... Like, there's literally no way any character in Star Wars could say anything about sex and not cause an uproar. Mm-hmm. I just... Even in, a, even in the most vanilla sense, mm-hmm. it would be trending and people would be mad. Ima- try and imagine anyone saying anything. Luke like- saying, I fucked anyone yeah just like like somebody asks him at comic con like hey so when luke is on that planet in exile you think he like jacked off 
And he says, no, I fucked all the dinosaurs. Yeah, I fucked the dinosaurs, actually. People would be pissed. No, but even if he just said yes, and that's it, <laughs> nothing else, said no words himself, just said yes, in response to right. did Luke jack off, people would say that's wrong. <laughs> Luke can't yeah, jack off. Right. He's missing. Well, that nerds hand. would be mad. Yeah, but as he's soon missing as... that hand. He can't do that. <laughs> it's a robot hand. <laughs> <laughs> and in that case, is it even jacking off? No. Or is it it's... getting a hand job from a <laughs> robot? Yeah, it's a space stranger. It's <laughs> space stranger. It's a you know spacer. the thing where <laughs> the spacer. <laughs> you know the thing where. Yeah, yeah, you sit on the hand. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm familiar. Yeah, so I don't know why this is news. I don't know. Who it's, cares? it's Honestly, it's a slow news week because it was New Year's and yeah. nobody's thinking about anything right now because it's about to be January. January is the best month for film nerds because that's where they dump all the movies. Yep. This is a graveyard of cinema and sometimes it's a pet cemetery of cinema. <laughs> that was last year. <laughs> <laughs> did it come out in January? I think it came I out in like did. February, March. I bet yeah. anything. It was trash. Did you see that movie? I watched it on no, a plane. No, I saw the it original one. I don't think the original is good either. It's bad, but I mean, the remake is funny. Well, I heard that they like pushed out of making it the baby this time. Yes, it is the little girl. Which is bullshit. Yeah, because now it's a creepy girl movie. Yeah, it's another creepy girl movie. It doesn't make any sense. But also, the whole thing that's cool about Pet Cemetery, literally the only thing <laughs> that makes it cool is that they made a baby the bad guy. Yeah. Like, that that's terrifying. That's fucked up, you know? And, and the emotional response of burying a child in the Pet Cemetery makes sense because it's a fucking baby. Yeah. It doesn't make sense if it's a... An eight-year-old I mean, girl? Yeah, you have another baby, like... <laughs> Yeah, fuck that one. baby. <laughs> anyway, uh, anyway, so, so so this week on on Generation Loss, we're doing a little split episode, two parter, uh, where in the first half we are going to be doing a 2020 preview, and then in the second half we are going to talk about the 1955 film <laughs> Night, Night of the, the Hunter. Hunter. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so in this one, uh, we're really just going to talk about us a, a little article that I found, basically because January 2020 is the uh, the graveyard of cinema. It's where everything that is either terrible or completely unmarketable. It doesn't because f- and that the uh, the concept of unmarketable has grown a lot since I was a kid because mm-hmm. it used to be like it had to be pretty fucking weird like Fight Club or something. Yeah, Fight Club was unmarketable because it's like well it's definitely not a movie about fighting. It's right. called Fight Club. It's all talking. What do we even show in the trailer? Anyway, point is is that. What is now unmarketable is like anything that's not a superhero movie or a book, a, a YA book or a horror movie. Yeah. Nobody wants, nobody cares. So, and even horror movies, I mean, they're dumping some of them in here. Well, those are just bad. Like, you know, they're going to be bad if it's something that is marketable, but it's in January. Yeah. This, if this isn't in, if the grudge part one, which is the first one, isn't it Halloween? It's going to be fucking terrible. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. So we're going to go through some of these January 2020s. And the first one, the first movie of the decade. Yep. January the first 3rd. first movie of the 20s. It comes out tomorrow. Comes out tomorrow. <laughs> uh, or a couple days ago when you listen to oh, this. Oh, right. Yeah. Is The Grudge. Hello. It's Peter Spencer. I'm here about selling the house. 
Is anyone home? In this highly anticipated reboot, Peter Spencer is trying to sell a nice-looking, normal house. Oh, it's Harold. <laughs> but this is a <laughs> horror movie. So here, nice-looking, normal house translates to Dominion of Death. This is insane because uh, The Grudge already came out. So many times. There's the, the, been a lot of them. Well, and, the, the, and even when the first one came out, when the first American version of The Grudge came out, yeah. it already felt like it was a cynical play at following ring. up the ring. Yes. Yeah. So now they're trying again and dumping it in January. So it is almost, and, but I don't see why they wrote this. They should have just said there was a movie called Juon, and then they remade it and they called it The Grudge. And this is a remake of that remake. Yeah. Yeah. So, what do we think of The Grudge? <laughs> uh, you know, it's funny because the original, Must see, the original Grudge scared the shit out of me. Really? Like, way more than The Ring. I thought The Ring was, when I saw it, was like one of the scariest movies me, I'd ever me, seen. Me too. Uh-huh. Like, I, it kept me up for nights, uh, seven days, mm-hmm. you know? It still holds up. I've watched it since then. Yeah, it's a good, it's a stylish movie. So beautifully shot. Gore Verbinski fucking kills it. Yeah. Um, And, you know, Naomi Watts is always great and mm-hmm. everything. Um, It looks so cool. And then the grudge just completely rips it off, has no style. Yeah. But for me was much scarier and like stuck with me for longer in a creepier way. Mm-hmm. To the point where I didn't even I didn't people wanted to watch the grudge too, and I was like, please don't put that on around me. <laughs> I, am, <laughs> I am very scared of that. I don't totally remember what the grudge was even about. I just remember that there was like two of them. Me neither. I it just was remember two kids. there was a haunted house. And that the girl goes, ah. Yeah, it's scary, and this movie looks very not scary, and I don't know yeah. if that's not because I'm, I don't know if that's because I'm not a teenager anymore, <laughs> but it doesn't look like it holds any of the fear that I had of the grudge, which was... Yeah, it looks like it'll probably be scary, because it'll probably have some jump scares, and those will always work. You know, the thing, though, is, is that releasing it in January means something went really wrong, mm-hmm. and it almost makes me want to see it more, Yeah, because it's like, did you watch Wish Upon? No. Uh, Wish Upon was a horror movie about a wishing box where it's like a little girl with Ryan Felipe. Okay. Where like a, a little girl gets seven wishes and it's fucking hilarious. And they're all murders. It's really good <laughs> in terms of funniness. Like it's consistently hilarious. Mm-hmm. Um, and you should watch it if you want to watch a really bad horror movie from recently. Um, so I'm, I kind of want to see if The Grudge gets that critically p- panned and maybe go see it. <laughs> or at least download it when it comes out. But I'll yeah. give it a chance just ho- hoping that it's really bad. But uh, it's not going to be good. Maybe a daytime showing. Yeah. Maybe like a, like a nice cheeky little cheap matinee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm definitely yeah. not paying full price or seeing this 100%. like at nighttime. I'll, no. I'll download it when it comes out. All right, so moving on to our next trailer. No. We have Like a Boss. Oh, God. <laughs> Why is dream sex way better than real sex? Because they come when you want them to. Girl, that is so true. When I'm done, they're done. Hello. Ever think about all the stuff we've done and wonder how we did not die? Is that a real hair? It's, it's a cultural thing. What the? Walk into the room. Now 
Clayton Mia Carter. I'm Clara Luna. I am going to invest $1.7 million on you. We would love a million dollars. But in my experience, business and friendship don't always mix. You don't have to worry. You're a pretty little head. Lift it, drop it, shake it. going down for real. I punched that bitch in the face. I would marry you if I was in the coochie. Ghost peppers, they are very spicy. Just a little sliver goes a long way. Your peppers are really hot. It burns so bad it hurts. Take some breath. It'll soak it all up. Oh, that's a lot of carbs. Here you go, honey. It's goat's milk, so to coat the throat. It's going down for real. This comedy follows two best friends, <laughs> Tiffany Haddish and Rose Byrne. Who is that? Do you I don't know. know. I'm gonna I don't know who I Tiffany s- Haddish is either, really. She's from Girls Trip. From what? Girls Trip. I don't know what that is. Girls Trip was, did you know what Rough Night is? No. Okay. It was like this uh, movie with like four black women go on a girls trip mm-hmm. and it's hilarious. Is it? <laughs> it's so funny. Okay. Um. So anyway, so we have uh, comedy follows two best friends who find themselves in an unstable place financially with regards to their beloved self-created cosmetics business. However, the girls are shocked when an offer to buy their entire company comes in from a famous and well-off cosmetics titan played by Salma Hayek. So this looks like shit. Yeah, it looks pretty bad. <laughs> uh, I'm going to I'm going to have to be perfectly honest. This looks like utter trash. It looks really bad. I mean, this is a real sort of January dump kind of movie. Mm-hmm. Um because this movie should be a summer movie. Yeah. There's really no reason that it shouldn't come out in the summer if it was funny. And I don't think it's going to be funny. I, comedies are just so hard. I it seems like even if you have because Tiffany Haddish has been funny in movies. Yeah. Like she's. And there's like funny stuff great in the trailer. It looks like it could be fun, but like, I mean, part of me is just cynical because I know that it's a January dump, but also it just. They told the whole story in the trailer. Yep. You already know all of what's going to happen. It's hard to believe that much else will happen. So they're, they're really trying to sell you on. Like that. Tiffany Haddish does funny shit. Yeah, they're trying to get you in the door. Yeah, and that's it. And I don't think that movie's going to be anything, but it, it seemed like they wanted to cash in on sort of the billion views of the YouTube makeup like tutorial yeah. shit. Like it's like Because this is a movie about two people starting a makeup line. Ooh, here's and- a fun game. Um, let's do prices right rules. What's uh, the what's the tomato uh, score going to be? And for the grudge too. No, no going over. No going over. So close is not okay. going over. I'm going twenty for the grudge. Oh, that's rough. I'm going <laughs> thirty eight for for like boss. Okay, I'm gonna yeah for the grudge. I'll, what did you say for twenty? Twenty. Yeah, I'll go twenty one. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, for like a boss, I'll go um, fifty-five. Ooh, okay, pretty yeah, high. Fifty-five. All right, moving on. Just mercy. Tell me everything that happened. The first time I visited Death Row, I wasn't expecting to meet somebody the same age as me, from a neighborhood just like ours. Could have been me, Mama. But what you're doing is going to make a lot of people upset. You always taught me to fight for the people who need the help most. Your life is still meaningful, and I'm going to do everything possible to keep them from taking it. You only know what you're into down here in Alabama when you're guilty from the moment you're born. It's my dad. He did nothing wrong. It's never too late for justice. 
You're the only one kid enough to fight for me. If we can look at ourselves closely, we can change this world for the better. We all need grace. We all need mercy. Based on a true story, Just Mercy, a story of justice and redemption by Brian Stevenson, the film follows civil rights attorney Brian Stevenson, played by Michael B. Jordan, as he takes on the case of Walter McMillian, played by Jamie Foxx, a black man who was wrongfully imprisoned for the murder of a white woman and subsequently sentenced to death. Is this a real story? Or is it just... It's a real story, yeah. Why is this in January? Uh, That's the real question here, because the, the trailer makes it look like it's going to be like... Oscar bait. Uh, like Oscar bait, yeah, but it's in January, so it's not. So what's wrong? A lot of things could be wrong. First of all, it's sort of a courtroom drama, mm-hmm. um, and those can really go either way. Um, it also, I mean, it's hard to say because it's like, for me personally, that movie could go either way, right? Like mm-hmm. it could be saying a lot of a lot of interesting stuff and important stuff about prison abolition and, and extremely racist justice system. But it could also just be a very, like, cloying and cynical, sort of liberal, sort of like, if we just fight hard enough in the legal system, yeah. we can we can help our, each other or whatever. I don't know. I have no idea. This is the first movie that we've watched that I can really see just being dumped because it was kind of too intense. Or th- like, Here's my take, okay. or my, my guess. Guess. The problem is an individual performance. Ooh. And I think it's going to be Jamie Foxx. Because Jamie I think Fox the problem is, is Jamie so Foxx isn't good in this. Really? I think that's going to be what it is. Because he's usually really good. I think he's really talented. What are you thinking of him in? I liked him in um, like Django Unchained. He's good he's in that. Good he's in. good in Ray. Yeah, he's good in Ray. Not a good movie, but he's good in Ray. Yeah. I don't know. Somebody. Somebody in this is acting bad. That's very possible. Damn, I don't know. This one's going to be a mystery. And, yeah. And I I think for my Rotten Tomatoes score, I'm going to go high. Because mm. I think this could be like one of those movies that they didn't really know. They weren't confident enough. Maybe it's not just not incredible. Maybe they were yeah. just like, it's not an Oscar movie and we can't put it anywhere else. Or maybe... Maybe it's a moonshot. Maybe they're just like, it's, it's not going to be crowded in January and this will be the biggest movie. There's also that it was gonna it was supposed to be a oscar bait movie mm-hmm. and then like re-edits or something pushed it back and then they like missed it and so it's coming out in january or is there another black entry into Ooh. oscar season i don't know but didn't when did moonlight come out moonlight's a couple of years ago i know but when did it come out <laughs> i don't know i think it was like march so maybe they're moonlight like- was a late entry because it was supposed to be um Birth of a Nation that year. Oh, yeah. Birth of a Nation was going to be the biggest movie in the Academy Awards, and then those guys ended up being like super rapists, and so that movie fell off the face of the earth, and then Moonlight took its place as like the black entrant into Oscar season. Oh, yeah, because there can be only one. Well, I mean, like it or not, that's how the Academy treats this shit. Like, there's a reason why the year after Oscar's so white, everything that won was black stuff. Right. Like, I'm not making their rules. I'm not saying you these guys mean it are that way. cynical and this is how they think of it. Right. And so I, I wonder if there's another movie about black stuff that's gonna be, you know, Oscar bait and then this is the one that they bridges. just were like <laughs> 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 that Yeah, that's the one. <laughs> horrific. 
I'm going to go high and I'm going to say it's going to get a 79. Next up, we have The Informer. This is recording now and we'll be recording the whole time. Kozlo was a convicted felon. He is also an informant for the Federal Bureau of Investigation. We have a buyer. I'm going to take everything you've got, Gautam. You're a cop. These guys find out you're a cop, you're a dead man, you understand? I'm going to give you one chance, and I'm going to give it to you in a few seconds. I'm here to investigate the death of somebody very close to me. We can't have this detective find out that an FBI informant was present during the murder of one of his own. You want to pitch your field office against the biggest police department in the world? We love us a good fight. I'm coming for payback! I'm coming for payback! I'm the hangman, and I just put a tight noose around your neck. I'm, I'm not getting out of this. This ends now. Surprise. The FBI, Intrigue, The Mob, this movie has it all. No idea what that's supposed to be about. Absolutely no idea what that's about. It looks like a guy... I heard fentanyl and that's it. Yeah, it's like an informer who I guess was involved in the drug trade and he cut a deal where they were like, okay, we're going to put you back in prison, but with a knife. (laughs) And that's going to be your story. Anyway, this looks like utter trash. Yeah, that's probably just in January because it sucks. Yeah. Okay, so next up we have Underwater, also on January 10th. Listen carefully. You are now 5,000 miles from land, and you're descending seven miles to the bottom of the ocean. See you all in a month. Here we go. Alright, we're gonna do this. Let's do this. Have you ever looked deep into the endless depths of the dark ocean and thought to yourself, oh God, I bet there's something horrifying down there. Well, do I have a film for you? Wow, the, whoever wrote this is... Yeah, fuck, fucking BuzzFeed. Okay, so... I think we know why that one's in January. Yeah, right? When did they film this? <laughs> I don't know, but T.J. Miller is really canceled. Yeah, he is... I mean... Right. It really it's it's one question which is like is this in January because TJ Miller is box office poison or is, is TJ Miller bad? in this because th- like this is their way of like slowly reintegrating him into society. Mm. Because I don't know, man. I can believe either one of these, but just for those yeah. at home, uh, yeah, T.J. Miller is in this, and what the fuck is that about? Yeah. <laughs> and Kristen Stewart's in it too, and that's really disappointing because I liked her a lot. I love. And I really. Stewart. I've hate said this. They they're just killing her career now. I know. Well, she's been in some really good stuff. Um, she, I, 
I said this on Twitter. I think that Kristen Stewart is the female Keanu mm-hmm. in that she doesn't have any range at all. She has one note. Yeah. But she does that note great when she is written when it's written for her. Right. You know, when like it's like a thing that she can really just do her thing. Mm-hmm. Love it. But if you try and make, you know, Keanu Dracula or whatever, like, <laughs> it gets really silly. Yeah, it's like when they had Jack Nicholson do a Boston accent in uh, The Departed. Yeah. You're just like, why would you do that? Yeah. <laughs> try and make Keanu, like, really emote or something. It's like, it's Keanu, guys. You can't use him yeah. that way. <laughs> so I feel that way about Kristen Stewart. And when she's good, she's really good. And I like watching her do her thing. Um, anyway, what's your tomato guess for oh, this? 44. I'm going 12. <laughs> okay (laughs) all right number six on the list january 17th do little i see trees of green red roses too i see them bloom for me and you and i think to myself Are you Dr. Doolittle? We have no choice but to embark on this perilous journey. Everyone pack your bags! (laughs) You can talk to animals. Dr. John Doolittle, played by Robert Downey Jr., is back and more animal-loving than ever in this updated reimagining of the classic tale. (laughs) So, a couple of things. Number one, um, what the fuck? Like, when did... I know, like, there was a a long time where... so rich? (laughs) There's a long time where, uh, like the the in a world voice like was gone right but people still made jokes about it as if that was like what trailers were like mm-hmm. this is gonna be our version of that where like years from now they're gonna be like it's a trailer so it's gotta have like a down-tuned minor note version of right. of a classic song. it's gotta have an imagine dragons cover yeah, of a classic fucking song. millennial whoop bullshit christ <laughs> Fuck. Yeah, so this looks like absolute trash. Asshole. This looks so fucking bad and like cruel. It looks like it's a cruel thing to subject an audience to. <laughs> well, it's also like if you wanted to do a movie where you have a whole cast of cute animals, it's like cheating. It should be great. It should be yeah. super easy to like write fun things for them to do and like be nice to I don't know, but like the fact that they barely showed any of them. Yeah. <laughs> it's like not spelling not, not spelling good things for that. Yeah. Robert Downey Jr. 
almost none of his acting is in this. It makes me think he like did a Johnny Depp and like did some insane acting choice where they're like, where he was like, I'm going to talk in an Irish accent. Yeah. Or something. It seems really, oof. This is going to be so bad. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to give it a 15. Mm. This, <sighs> this one got hard dumped. Yeah, where's cats at right now? I think it's at a uh, eleven. I'm gonna go with eleven. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. All right, and our our last last movie of the preview, the rhythm section. I'm gonna say this once. Even if you succeed, it won't be worth it. In this spy thriller, Blake Lively plays Stephanie Patrick, a woman who has just discovered that the plane crash that killed her entire family wasn't an accident. Wow. Okay. January is a very exciting time. (laughs) Uh, That movie looks like trash. It looks like trash. It It looks looks like like trash. It looks like it's nothing. It's... I don't even know what... It's a vengeance movie. It's one of those movies where it's like, we're going to make this girl be a badass because she like has no emotions and isn't yeah. really a human. She's a fucking killing robot. It's like, well, then why do I care about her? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I don't know. That movie doesn't look like anything. Yeah. I bet it, it'll get like, somebody will act well enough in it that it'll get like a 40. It's probably competently shot. Mm-hmm. It's probably has like one or two cool action sequences, like on a technical standpoint, in the service of absolutely nothing. Yeah. So, yeah, probably. I'm going to go 50. 50? Just 50. Damn. That's still a splat. <laughs> well, hey, everybody. January, it's a very exciting time of year. Getting 2020 off to a good start. Real, really excited about these contenders. Yeah, Definitely going to go to the I have movies a qu- this month. <laughs> I'm going to go see a movie. I will for sure spend money at a movie theater this from month. From you about 2020. Okay. What director do you want to see make another movie? Uh, None. <laughs> I want nobody to make a movie. <laughs> You don't care? I would like, no, I would like one year with no movies. <laughs> that's that's my 2020 resolution. This show is about movies. Yeah, right? no, I, I mean, every year is, this is like the, my, my Linux on the desktop take is every year is the year of the triumphant return of Spike Lee. Okay. Every year is the year that Spike Lee finally comes back. Did you like any of the, his most recent movies? No, I have okay. not liked anything he's made since Summer of Sam. I want Miranda July to make a movie. Who? Miranda July, she made um, Me and You and Everyone We Know. Oh, yeah. I like that one. Which everyone liked. Mm -hmm. And then people sort of were like, it's a little twee. It's very twee. And then sort of looked back on it less favorably. And then she made The Future, which no one saw, which is Mm -hmm. one of my favorite movies. Um, Me and You and Everyone We Know kind of got stuck in with... um, I Heart Huckabees. I Heart Huckabees and um, like... Thumbsucker. Thumbsucker, Chum Scrubber. Which is made by her husband. Oh, is it really? Yeah. Yeah. He also made Beginners. That was a big year for like 
twee capital I indie film. Yeah. But then the, she made The Future, which is the same thing, except extremely depressing and dark mm-hmm. and about like just some really upsetting emotions. And I love it. It's great. Yeah. Um, so I'd love, I, she hasn't made a movie since then. I think that was 2011. So I'd like to see maybe this one, me. maybe this year, maybe this year, <laughs> new decade, new Miranda July. Yes. Okay. So this is the year of, uh, of yeah. Spike Lee and Miranda July. Lee and July together at last. <laughs> 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 what would that movie be? <laughs> Just like awkward autistic black people like, yeah. looking at each other being like, I'm going to open a coffee shop <laughs> in Bed-Stuy. I don't know. I don't know. All right. So. This week we watched Night of the Hunter. Yes. Starring Robert Mitchum. And this was your pick. This is my pick. I wanted to do something different than what we've been doing. Yeah. Um, we've kind of been in like a, a, a certain time period, a certain kind of like mood of film, I feel. Yeah. And um, so I wanted to go... A little bit further back and do something that really surprised me, uh, being from the time period that it's from. Um, And I saw this movie, I think, in college, um, right before it got a Criterion Collection edition Mm -hmm. in 2010. um, And freaked me out it's crazy yeah (laughs) it's a really weird movie uh quickly recapping it a serial killer yeah he's a serial killer who who preys on promiscuous women he pretends to be a preacher yes it doesn't seem there's no proof that he ever is a preacher but he dresses like a preacher he is a preacher he preaches but i mean he's not involved necessarily in any like he doesn't have a church yeah but so so he's a he's a preacher man he's a traveling preacher man who goes from town to town murdering women uh in this cycle for their money uh he gets Pulled over for having an unlicensed car or something like that. Uh, his Model T is like, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't have a license. Uh, so he goes to jail for car. a month uh, where he meets a man who says, I stole $10,000, an unthinkable amount of money in this time period. Yeah, And so I hid money. it somewhere at my farm, wink, wink. And uh, I'll tell you where the farm is, but I won't tell you where I hid the money. And uh, so he gets murdered by the state. And then our serial killer gets out after serving his time for his unlicensed Model T. He goes back to the town, finds the family, marries the dead guy's wife, mm-hmm. and then proceeds to just spend the rest of the time psychologically torturing her children to try to find out where this money is. And in. her. And her. And, and then uh, murdering her. And then murders her. The kids run away. Uh, he chases he, he them. He gives chase. Uh they find refuge in an old woman, or sort of not an old woman, but a spinstress, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and who takes in lost children, mm-hmm. and uh, then he sort of swindles one of the children into telling them where they are, finds them, and then is finally captured and defeated by the nice spinstress who takes them in. So the kids lose both their parents, yeah, um, and then successfully protect the money. Which the movie kind of climaxes in uh, the kid sort of realizing that he doesn't even give a shit about the money. Yeah. He's never been able to use it or spend it and is just completely traumatized. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he's in seeing the serial killer get arrested, sort of freaks out and is just like, I don't even care. And just like throws the money yeah. in, in the scuffle. And then the movie's over. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of, I feel like 
I had been liking the movie a lot up until that point, and I think that that was kind of when I was like, it didn't feel earned, the ending. Mm. I didn't feel like there had been enough breadcrumbs up until that point establishing that the kid was growing frustrated with the money. Because the whole time I kept thinking to myself, as a viewer, I'm like, you have money. There's no reason for you to be like going to, you know, you're roughing it on this boat. You keep finding these women who are willing to give you like a baked potato or whatever, right. and then you eat it, and then you're starving. And then, like, all this time, it's like you have money that you can use. They're, they never establish that they can't necessarily. They just don't want to so. show it. It seems like, yeah, he's supposed to keep it hidden and keep it secret. And so it felt like- almost more like he was honoring his father's idea of keeping the secret by just not using it at all because that would be ruining the secret. Yeah. And so at the end, when he it's throws the money, like I'm kind of like, uh, I did, it just didn't feel like that was what made sense to do at that point. Yes. I, I think for me, that moment feels is more affecting as thinking of it as like his brain just sort of breaking from the yeah. trauma of like seeing his father get arrested and murdered by the state and then sure. seeing this guy who was supposed to be his like dark it's like a dark yeah, version dark of his dad, father yeah. uh-huh. who's abusive and like maybe like sexually abusive to some of the children and and then getting arrested in the exact same way sure um, but again it's like i feel like if there were more breadcrumbs of that like if there'd yeah. been one or two more scenes where somebody gets hurt in front of him and it like triggers something in him and he's like ah oh, that's like my dad yeah that would have made that it does really better. come out of nowhere, and I think for some reason that made it more... When I first saw it, and especially this time, mm-hmm. just was like, ugh, it like freaked me out a little more. Yeah, it's... Like, he just does something almost nonsensical, because he's like, I don't... He just throws the money yeah. at the cops. He it almost feels know. like somebody's just like turning the light switch off on the movie, where they're just like, we've done enough. We, yeah. like, it's, it's like when you hit time on the podcast, and you're just like, all right, well, that's right, it for this ya. week. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then... Yeah, I think that's basically the last part of Yeah, the and then they, they arrest him, and uh, there's like a lynch mob yes. that doesn't oh, successfully yeah, yeah, yeah. lynch him. And that's also confusing, too, I felt, mm-hmm. because I wasn't really sure what the lynch mob was after. They uh, just find out he killed like 20 women, and right. they're just mad. And this whole town of people is like, fuck this guy. Yeah, and then he gets put into the back of the police car, and like the hangman comes out, and he's just like, oh, well, I'm excited to go to work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, he has like a funny line. <laughs> like, it ends on like almost a joke, where he's just like, boy, howdy, am I excited for my week at work? <laughs> yeah. And then that's the movie, yeah. Yeah. Um, um, but yeah, this movie was made in 1955. Mm-hmm. It was um, shot very strangely i think the notable thing about this movie is a it's incredibly dark storyline yeah it's based off of of a book of the same name by james aggie um and it is shot in a sort of german expressionist southern gothic style yeah so Um, what is the german expressionist thing about because it's something that when reading about it because i'd never seen this before right i knew very little about it and when reading about it I'd seen a lot of talk about German Expressionism, and I'm like, well, I'm not going to go watch like five movies in advance of this. So the sort of quintessential German Expressionist film is Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. Okay, yeah. Have you seen that? I have, yeah. Okay, so that's sort of like, it's basically just like goth black and white. It's Mm -hmm. just like making things look like Tim Burton. Right. Sort of like big shadows on things, very angular sort of um, yeah. specific geometric shapes. It um, reminded me of um, the the Dracula one. 
um, Nosferatu. Is it Nosferatu that has like the really intense like reaction faces and yeah, stuff? Yeah. yeah, there was a lot of scenes in this where there's one where uh, the killer guy is at like a at like a flappers club or whatever, yes. and there's like a woman dancing on stage, and you see him like flip his knife in his pocket. Like yeah. he's not even showing it to anybody. It's just like a thing. It's almost like he needs to do it to feel comfortable in that situation yeah. but then it like zooms in on his face and he just has this like deranged face on it, <laughs> it reminded me a lot of of that yes so it's sort of this very stark like um like there's a lot of shots of like silhouettes of people mm-hmm. rather than you know it, it, at the time it was i think a little too disturbing like people weren't ready for something this dark because it was yeah. a big flop no one liked it. Yeah, nobody. Critics hated it. <laughs> critics hated audiences it. Audiences hated it. It ruined this guy's career. Yeah, he never he got, never to, got to make another movie again. No, no. Uh, Robert Meacham had to like do a bunch of uh, stuff from for a studio because um, it was such a weird movie. People yeah. didn't want like because he was a hero kind of guy. He was like a, a war movie kind of guy, mm-hmm. and uh, people didn't like him as a villain. And this is like this is a pre-color film, right? Like there isn't yeah. color film at this point. I don't think because, but I'm not sure because a lot of the stuff that I read about this also is talking about like how beautiful the black and white is. And I'm like, I mean, yeah, it looks beautiful, of yes. course, but I didn't realize that there was like something to compare that to in that way. Like, I mean, I guess it's different types of film that you were using on black and white. I, I'm not a technical, you know, I don't know a lot about film. <laughs> no, it's a fine. I mean, I don't really know the history. I think that color existed because, yeah. Because it's 55, and I think mm-hmm. Wizard of Oz is before that. I could be wrong. Yeah. We could look it up to sound smart, but who cares? Point is, <laughs> is that, point is, is that ye, it, mo, color was, at this point, sort of reserved for larger, big-budget movies. Right, It yes. cost a lot of money. The cameras were huge. Yeah, um, and I think a lot of it was like actually having to go back over it and color stuff. Some of it was like that. The Technicolor uh. process is extremely... Um, extremely expensive at the time yeah. um, to do it not like that. So this movie was just f- a black and white movie, but it it's it couldn't possibly have been anything else. Yeah. Like it looks like very stylized for the time. Yeah, a lot of it is using it's using a lot of trickery to like I, what I heard is that like a lot of these sets are like only half built. Yep. Like they're like tiny pieces of set because they couldn't afford to make full sets or to shoot on location and stuff like that. So they're using trickery to use the black and white to hide the fact that like, so for example, the scene that I adored, my favorite thing in the whole movie okay. is um, when murder man and the wife Power. are, are in their bedroom, which is at the top of the house. Yes. And you see, their bedroom looks as if there's like a window on either side of it that are these kind of like triangular windows. And then you can see like a triangular piece of the roof and then you can see the bed and that's it. Everything else is pitch black. And so there's like these tiny traces of light illuminating him, the wife, the bed, and then this one triangular piece in the center top. Mm -hmm. And so from that, you can kind of see the shape of their room is like, it's the top of the house. It's like, like a turret or something like that mm. where like there's a bunch of different triangular pieces but otherwise you can't see anything else and you as the viewer are watching it you're like yeah it's dark in the room but in real life what they're doing is they're literally only shining light on very specific points because they only had a right. bed and a piece of roof <laughs> <laughs> yeah and it it what he does with what he's able 
to to make is is so incredible. Like it's so an, good looking. Th- there's yeah. another shot where they um once uh once he kills the wife Johnny the little kid mm-hmm. tells him that it's actually the money is hidden in the in the cellar. Yeah, and it is not hidden in the cellar. It's hidden in her little doll, um the the little girl's doll, and. Uh, they go down to the cellar and it's like a Wes Anderson style shot where like the whole frame is black, but you see the whole stairs and the whole cellar. Yeah. And they're like walking down like a map. It's so weird. It's really wild. And, yeah. and, and, and for the time, I just don't know if anyone really knew what to make of it. They weren't even like, this is cool. They were just like, what the fuck am I watching? Yeah, what are you doing? <laughs> Why does it look like this? Yeah. Um, it, it's almost like a storybook. There, there's like the sense of like Mother Goose sort of fairy tale. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It's got like the evil stepmother sort of thing going on to right. it. But it's a, but it's about a serial killer preacher. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So it's a there's very a lot of like weird... animals for no reason. But I think it kind of adds to that sort of fairy tale sort of vibe to it. They yeah. show the moon a lot. Well, the opening shot of the movie sort of sets you up to like settle in for what you're about to be shown because mm-hmm. the opening shot of the movie is space. And then five children's heads floating in space. Yeah, which is very strange. And and I remember when I first saw this movie, not really knowing what to expect, <laughs> um, I was just like, what kind of movie am I about to watch? Because I've never... It looks like something that someone nowadays... It looks like a Spike Jones movie at yeah, first. You're uh-huh. like, like, it's like referencing 50s movies, not a movie from the 50s. Right, it's like um, the Smashing Pumpkins video. Yes, um, exactly. It kind um, of feels like it's making reference to something, but in this case, it's not. In this case, it just, is the thing. Right, but it, it knows how dark it is. It knows how fucked up of a movie it is. Yeah. And it's like they're constantly trying to pretend that they're not from the future, you know? <laughs> um but like and that and like uh it was also very scandalizing. Yeah. People were very upset with parts of this movie. For example, the when you mentioned the the switchblade in his pocket, he's like looking at a stripper basically right. and he's like I fucking hate women. Yeah. <laughs> uh he's like a weird misogynist. So and what, then he what like, I found interesting and then a knife comes out of his pants. It's yeah. like that's a dick. <laughs> <laughs> it's like he has a dick he has a p- knife dick. Knife dick, yeah, dick yeah. blade. Um, <laughs> what I what I found interesting though is that like the movie doesn't seem to have an opinion about that. About his misogyny. About his misogyny. Yeah, I don't mm-hmm. think that by the end of it, I believe that the film thinks he's a bad guy for doing anything but murder. Like okay. I think that his motives are reflected quite a few times as like fairly valid. <laughs> where like um, like in universe, for example, like the reason why the kids are in danger the reason why the the all these people at the mother goose house are going to be murdered by this man is because this one teen girl snuck off to go and like hang out with boys right the movie places the blame pretty squarely on her yeah <laughs> Well, and then she doesn't really get any sort of resolution to that. All she gets is Mother Goose holding her and being like, oh, honey, this is just the only way you know how to find love. Right. And you're like, well, that's not right either. <laughs> <laughs> and I wonder, I, you know, I, I don't know because there wasn't a lot of criticism about this movie at the time. Yeah. It was basically just buried and it sort of was like, you know, film nerds that sort of found it. Like I said, it didn't get a Criterion release until 2010. Yeah. It, it had to be sort of saved. But I think my my perception of the film was that it's sort of in the sort of vein of Flannery O'Connor. Do you, mm. have you ever read Flannery O'Connor? No. It's, she's a sort of Southern grotesque sort of writer. 
Okay. Uh, she's great. She's one of my favorite authors. But um, I think that this movie is sort of taking the like absurdist puritanical thing to its limit. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what the movie is trying to say. If there is something that the movie is trying to say, which is a little bit unclear. Yeah. Um, but I, my perception of it is that it's sort of like the logical conclusion of the way all of these people, the way they live their lives of like traditional values yeah. is like hating women and, right. and murdering people for their money. Cause that's all they care about. And so the preacher is sort of this like manifestation of the absurdist end to their, all of their beliefs in God and yeah. supremacy of everything. So that kind of, I but think the thing that's is, what it is, but like, I but, don't know. <laughs> but then the Mother Goose character is also deeply religious, and it's yes. it's a note made very frequently about her, and then she saves them with kind of... I think if, if it's commenting about anything about, you know, Christianity, I think what it's commenting on is the idea of, uh, like, the like the power for, for religion to be a compassionate force over a empirical force where like a violent force yeah well i think that he represents kind of this like traveling preacher character whose job is to go town to town to convert people to his strain of christianity right and we even see that when he marries the mother character and then starts preaching in front of like this torch and whatever and like he changes (laughs) that town's religious culture entirely yeah they were kind of just like a white bread sort of Protestant town. And then he comes in and now they're like a fire weird snake handler <laughs> town, you know? Yeah. And I think that the the Mother Goose character later kind of represents back at that initial one, the, the white bread Protestant thing, kind of saying like, this is, this is the way to save people is with compassion and with love and to welcome them into Christ rather than trying to do it at the, at the barrel of a gun or in this case at the, point of a knife right you know <laughs> and speaking of love uh this movie has uh, a scene a few scenes in which powell the preacher character um has love and hate tattooed on yeah. his knuckles um so you said you hadn't seen this movie so i hadn't seen it and so did that sort of come out of nowhere for you a little bit well i saw the picture when i you know when i rented it like i saw the picture of him with the love and hate and i was like oh weird is that where this originally comes from because like love and hate on the knuckles is like you see it fucking everywhere and then boy was i surprised to see the monologue from do the right thing yeah which is one of my favorite movies of all time. It's a fantastic movie. And I wanted to actually talk about it because I think that it's like, it's one of the perfect representations of the 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 phrase, uh, bad artists borrow, great artists steal. Yep. Is that even after seeing what that references, it doesn't matter. Like, <laughs> no. it's still so, it's it spikes now. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it's it's from that movie. Well, it's, it's not also, from this movie. Especially at the time, no one had fucking seen Night of the Hunter. Right. In 1990 1991, no one had seen fucking Night of the Hunter. Spike Lee is just a weird nerd who mm-hmm. like tracked down these weird movies cuz this is, guy is not a director. Like Actually, this it might is be 88 own- or 89. Oh shit. Cuz the song uh Fight the Power is the first line of it is 1989. Oh right. Um so I think it's 88 or 89, yeah. In that year, no one had seen Night of the Hunter. Spike Lee was a weird nerd yeah. who just tracked this movie down and stole from it because it's an incredible scene. Yeah. It's weird. It feels out of place even in that movie. Mm-hmm. Um for the for the listener, um he has love and hate tattooed on his on his knuckles and he says 
you want to hear the story about the left hand, right hand, how love and hate, you know, basically the the line from yeah, yeah, from it's the like right the, thing. with you know the the left hand, the the the, the you know with, this is the one that Cain used to kill Abel, and then the right hand, right hand man, like this is the God hand, and like yeah. you know the the hand of brotherhood, and then he like holds them together, and he does this whole thing that like kind of ends really abruptly where he's just like yeah. and now the left hand's got it and now the right hand's got it <laughs> yeah. and then love wins in the end and you're like all right well i guess that was the thing yeah that's the thing and then in do the right thing they do the same monologue but it's uh the character radio rahim has these like cool uh rings that he just got made brass that knuckles, are like yeah. brass knuckle forefinger rings that say love and hate right and then it's in the simpsons it's in mm-hmm. you know a bunch of i think the animaniacs do it yeah um it's it's a cultural thing, but really nobody knows where it's from, and that was sort of the thing that really stuck out when I first watched it. I was like, "Whoa, yeah, this is that movie," <laughs> um, and it's a weird thing that's just in this movie. And I guess that kind of follows right with what you're saying. The movie's about is this like less about a commentary on religion as much as like, or it is a commentary on religion, but it's a commentary on like where the power of religion is. Right. It's a commentary on. Truth told, it's a it's a lesson and a and a message that I a hundred percent don't think is cool to be spreading. <laughs> which is like which is the more uh which is the more powerful way to spread spread the word of Christ? Is it by love or is it by violence? And they're saying it's by love. And and to me, the answer is don't neither. Spread it's don't spread Christ. Christ. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> right. But I, at the same time, I don't know if I agree that it's really a pro-religious movie mm-hmm. um she is but it, in the sort of like lexicon of um because flannery o'connor was a christian too uh-huh. um and i do think this movie has like deep ties to the southern gothic grotesque thing mm-hmm. that she started it was always very critical of religion as a concept and yeah. i feel like this movie it's definitely critical feels yeah i'm not sure if i could really say that i would agree with any for sure what the movie is trying sure, to do because i don't know so that it's trying far. to do anything except be like a spooky children's story yeah like that's weird. the only thing i can say for certain is that this is referent it's referential to nursery rhyme shit yeah and then is doing that really in a dark yeah serial killer way but other than that like commentary wise i'm not really sure that i'm like comfortable to say much because part of me also thinks like is it just that that's the world that it yeah. that it was made in was exactly. that it just wasn't uncommon for somebody to be very religious and so for them they weren't saying like this guy is a commentary on preachers they were just saying well being a traveling preacher would be a good way to get away with killing people in a bunch of different towns right and for her it's not weird that she's super religious because everybody was you right. know and there's a great one a great shot where he's like his hand is like on her porch when he first comes to find the kids yeah the and he, it's like you see the like the love on his hand and mm-hmm. she just like basically pulls out a gun <laughs> and she's like get the fuck out of here i yeah. don't believe you that scene um, uh it's um when he's already been revealed as not their father and right. and she's a big a big portion of this movie is her protecting the home Yes. Because this guy has followed them as this sort of, you know, undying force constantly catching up to them. Right. That's the other thing about this movie. He slowly transforms into Michael Myers. Yes. Like yes, he yes, becomes yes. a supernatural hunter. Mm-hmm. It's pretty scary at a it's, certain point. It's got a real, like, I would say this is probably like a Godfather film for the slasher genre. 
Like, yeah. I don't think there's anything about this that isn't a slasher movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's like ages before that concept would even be created. But like, yeah, he's a he's a, a knife wielding maniac mm-hmm. who is an undying moving force constantly getting closer to them no matter what they do there's no answer to why he's able to keep catching up to them he just does right he has like a distinct look to him where he's got like a costume and accessories and like he has a specific weapon that's like he it's his trademark he doesn't ever pick up another one yep. even when like the even when the terms are escalated to the point where he's facing off against a woman with a shotgun, he's still using the switchblade. That's his weapon. Yeah. It's the same thing with Michael Myers, where like got the he never knife. picks up the gun when somebody drops it. He uses the knife. Because it would be weird if he shot a gun. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and the, there's a scene where when the two kids are on the run, um, over the horizon, like literally on top of the horizon in yeah. silhouette, he's singing a song and riding a horse mm-hmm. in complete silhouette. Oh yeah, that's the other thing is the song, having him sing the same song all the time. Right, and then and then Johnny wakes up to hearing him sing and sees him on the horizon and he goes, doesn't he ever sleep? Amazing scene. Incredible. Yeah. <laughs> Horrifying. Oh, but the scene I was going to say that like really makes the movie... Even if like you don't like anything else, like this scene is worth seeing the movie for is when she's waiting up all night with the shotgun yep. and he's outside singing the song and then she starts singing the woman's end of the duet. Yeah. And they're singing a duet together as they both are just there to murder each other, essentially. Uh-huh. They're the whole unspoken thing there is like one of us is gonna fuck up and die. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But we're also singing a song. About together. Jesus. About Jesus. Very yeah. strange. And that so she's in silhouette mm-hmm. and then through what I believe has to be a fucking split diopter, um, she's in complete silhouette. He's through a screen door. Like the, her her porch is screened in and she's on a rocking chair and then he's like also in focus yeah like just like kind of lounging on her fence and they're having a duet and then the little girl walks in and turns on the light and he disappears yeah not not in a human way where it's like oh you you wouldn't be able to see him he, he's like a specter and he's just gone yeah the light just makes him go away yeah the other shot that i'm really interested in and i know i'll probably never get an answer to <laughs> is when he murders their mother mm. and throws her in the fucking Duesenberg into the lake. Yes. And there's a shot of, you see like seaweed kind of like flapping in the in the stream and then it goes down to her car and you see her hair flapping like the seaweed and she's tied to the car. And her, and her neck is And her neck slit. is slit open and whatever. I have so many questions about how that shot got done. I know. It's underwater. It's underwater, which already for the time is like unbelievable. She's, had to be so hard to do. She's really there underwater. She's really there. There's no way they had a model that was that realistic mm-hmm. looking. She's really tied to a car. Like there's so many things that like it would be so hard to fake. The only thing I can think of is that they found some way to do it without water. That's the only oh. way I can think is that it's something with like a fan and like slowing down the tape or okay. something like that. Maybe. It's the only thing I can think of because otherwise like it's such a dangerous shot yeah. that the tech isn't there for and like yeah. and then, nothing makes and then sense. I believe it also sort of like pans up. Yes. And then and you see the bottom of the boat and you're like, so it is, is the water. How is this happening? <laughs> 
Yeah, that there's a lot of shots in this movie where you're just like, if it was right now, you would assume it would be CGI, mm-hmm. and if it was in the '90s, you'd be like, how the fuck did they do this? Yeah, and in the '50s, you're like. This is magic. <laughs> this is just um, magic. So, I mean, or this is somebody's life being seriously in danger from yeah, a shot. And it very well might be. <laughs> Could very well be. Um, but yeah, so the movie's just filled with shots like that. And I guess, w- I'm curious, Like, what do you, would you recommend it? Absolutely. Okay. I loved it. I absolutely <laughs> adored it. I want to watch it again fairly soon. Yeah. Um, I still don't love the ending. I think that it kind of feels like they just had to end it somehow and they just didn't know what to do anymore. Yeah. And it kind of, like I said, it felt like they just kind of like turned off the lights and and stacked the chairs and just left. Right. (laughs) And it's some sort of, that's interesting because it seems to be some sort of fairy tale where it's like, and then he dies in the end or something. Yeah. And like the kids are safe. It it has like a happy ending. Mm -hmm. It's funny. Now that you said it, as a slasher movie, the real ending would be that he gets away and is like riding a horse across the sky. Yeah, exactly. Like the final like, like post credit scene whistling would be somehow. like the car is like tipped over and you hear him whistling off camera. Right. And I lo- also love about this movie is that his as he becomes more supernatural, he just starts reacting like an animal. Mm-hmm. Like yeah, like when they're in the lake and he just goes like. <laughs> Yeah. Like it doesn't seem like he's screaming at them or anything. He's just he just needed at that moment to make a noise. Yeah. And when she shoots at him, he starts like gorilla whooping. Yeah. And he like out the door. Um it's really a fucking really strange movie. It's a strange movie that like it really it creates a consistent and persistent feeling that mm-hmm. I don't know if I want to call it dread because I don't think I was necessarily like afraid the whole movie but it always it's kind of like uncut gems in a way okay where it's part of what works about it is that everybody reacts to things the right way everything is filmed the right way to make everything feel like it's part of one long feeling yeah and whether or not that feeling is dread or fear or or confusion or whatever it's kind of for this for uncut gems it's clear it's panic you know, but right. for for Night of the Hunter, it's it's a little less clear, and I'm not sure what I would name it. But it's like dark and surreal and queasy, <laughs> but also funny. Like it's it's almost yeah. like nervous laughter. It's okay. a it's a long movie of nervous laughter mm-hmm. where you're kind of always on the verge of being upset, but also kind of like giggling at something to make that feeling go away. Yeah, I, I think the movie is incredible. I suggested it because I loved it. I, I saw it a few times during this decade and um, this past decade. Uh, and it was um, it's always surprising what you see in this movie because it's like. When you first see it, you're just struck by like the left hand, right hand, love hate thing. Yeah, you're struck by like some of the bigger shots, the the the, the sort of triangle room shot, yeah. and when he kills her, and the the little weird like frog song after they yeah, get away uh-huh. the first time, and the little girl starts singing this very creepy song, and then there's like shots of animals. Yeah, that it's, one's really funny to me too because it's like it's clear at some point that they're like, what's another type of animal? Hmm. Yeah, <laughs> like they kind of run out of ideas, and they're like giant turtle and you're like <laughs> all right because <laughs> it's like it's all stuff that you'd expect in that environment where it's like bunny owl fox, fox. Yeah. and then it's just like giant turtle <laughs> wrong place <laughs> like what uh yeah it's a but 
And oh, you're also just struck by like the opening shot. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of stuff. Even this time, I watched it and I was like, "God damn, this movie is so amazing looking." Yeah. So even if the story was nothing to write home about, every shot is so interesting. But the story is really weird and creepy and very successfully, I think, scary in parts. Yeah. Um, if you if you can be affected by a a fifty five you know movie from fifty five yeah it is worth noting this movie's old as shit it's old and as it shit. feels it yeah <laughs> there's that, a lot of times where like someone picks up like one of those fucking two piece phones and you're like what <laughs> 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 yeah they're like going down to the soda pop bar and yeah like, like nobody thinks it's weird that he's riding a horse around right. there's a lot of stuff they like that literally where you're are like, like one of those old model T's you mean the first car yeah. <laughs> It's you not weird that. that somebody has the first car. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's a it's a very old movie, but it it feels especially visually just super modern. Mm-hmm. Um and I loved it for it. So, I definitely of course recommend it. It's one of the greatest movies ever made in my opinion, and Spike Lee agrees with me apparently. Yeah. <laughs> um lots of people And really as we it. said, 2020 is the year of Spike Lee on the desk. That's right. <laughs> uh so yeah, I love it. Yeah. And um, thank you for listening to Generation Loss. It's been lovely to talk with you. It's been lovely you. to talk with you. We are uh, going to go see Star Wars now and yeah, then maybe to talk leave. to Jake about it. <laughs> uh, maybe not. Who knows? Anyway, we'll see you next week. Follow us on all the socials. Uh, Follow us on Twitter. Twitter at Jeremy Thunder, at Kinematography, at Gen Lost Pod. Or, or yeah, Gen- that's it. Yeah, Gen yeah, Lost at Pod. Gen Lost Pod. You know, rate and review us on the iTunes or whatever. Um, it helps people find the show. Does it? I don't even know. Goodbye. Bye. Thanks for listening. As much as he tried to, you know, minimize the horror of it, it was still there. Because he put on little owls and all that shit, you know. Nevertheless, it was still there. I wanted to do it right down the fucking line. He said no because the women would take their children off the streets, you know. He didn't want me to be that horrible. You know? And I wanted to be just that horrible. We loved each other. And I'm sorry, actually, that it's the only film that he ever directed because he's brilliant. <laughs>